Well, this morning, our title is A Different Mindset. Our family theme is Thinking Like Christ. Our objective today is to think more and more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think that requires an attitude adjustment, don't you? And so we need to change our view of life to fit his view of life. We're going to be in three different texts this morning in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start there, the first two verses. We'll go back to Philippians chapter 2. We were there last week, and we're going to go to verse 3 through 8, and it'll apply to our um, topic this morning. And then we'll end up in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We've got three uh, key truths. Number one, uh, thinking like Christ means daily offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Thinking like Christ, number two key point, is putting others ahead of ourselves. And then our third key point, thinking like Christ means focusing on what's good, right, and honorable. Under our Bible basis this morning, we're encouraged to review uh, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, where Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, and to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, by the way, I want to point something out in that verse. Uh, the King James uses that word wiles. I have no problem with that. But it literally means the schemes of the devil. Make sure you understand, Satan has plans to destroy our life, okay? He didn't come off half-cocked. He has a plan. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So where does our lesson today fit in the overall story of the Bible? Uh, not unlike what we've been through the last few weeks. Uh, of course, today we're including the, the letters to the church at Rome. And Paul wrote these letters uh, either late, uh, the late A.D. 50s or the early 60s, writing to the church. And today uh, we're going to be focused on the fact that Paul uh, encourages believers to conform ourselves to the thinking of Jesus Christ, to mold our lives just like Christ. Let's go ahead and do where I get started this morning. Uh, we have something there on the overhead. What's that, what's that say? Somebody tell me. Is that true? Okay. Any thoughts on that? Our thinking determines our actions. Where do our actions, where do our, do our actions begin from? Our brain. How we think. So the way we think, in fact, determines our actions. Now, how do we think? How do we think? Now don't say with your brain, because Rick would have a problem with that one. Because he's far beyond that, right, Rick? <laughs> but the, the trouble is, when we come to Christ, we have wrong ideas. Isn't that true? We have wrong attitudes. We have a wrong mindset. And once we're saved, that's why it's important we get into God's Word and allow the Word of God to shape how we think. Folks, I can't, I can't stress how important that is. Because too many Christians try to live their lifestyle in Christ 
with that old mindset, and it simply does not work. And so our goal today in our lesson is to see how the Lord Jesus Christ wants you and I to conform our thinking to the way he thinks, to his mindset. Now, by the way, and we'll talk more about this, uh, a little bit more about it later on, but we know that everyone, every, every human being is created in the image of God. And when God created mankind, mankind was perfect. So what happened? Thank you, Dan. Sin came in. And so because of that, we were damaged, if you will. And now our ways uh, are often contrary to what God's ways and God's purpose for our life is. And so as Christians, that's why it's so important we learn to think and to live like Christ and to make sure we are striving every day to become more and more like Him. Let's go to our first key point, Romans chapter 12. And we'll look at the first two verses. And our first key point is thinking like Christ means daily offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Somebody read Romans 12, 1 1 and 2, please. I thank you, Dan. Notice, first of all, in our in our text this morning, in verse 1 of Romans 12, uh, Paul says, I beseech you, I'm begging you, therefore. Now, remember that word, therefore, is a very important word. And anytime you see that, you need to figure out, well, what has Paul said before that he wrote this verse? Well, Paul has spent 11 chapters putting on display the handiwork of God, what God has done for us. And Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about God's justice, talking about uh, God's wisdom, God's holiness, God's love, the fact that God has been faithful to us and declared us righteous apart from any works, uh, the fact that God has really put on those 11 chapters, Paul has put on display what salvation looks like. Here is what God has done for you. Now, how many would agree God's done an awful lot for us? Amen. And so Paul, based on what he said in these 11 chapters, he said, what I want you to realize, based on these things, all these mercies that God has bestowed upon us, all these things that I've been teaching about in these 11 chapters, Paul said, in light of that, I am begging you to present yourself, present uh, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accessible to God. That's what he's begging us. Now, keep in mind, if, if we realize and really begin to wrap our minds around everything that God has done for us through Christ, what should our response be? What should it be? 
Should we be willing to submit to him? Should we be willing to respond in worship and adoration? Should we not be willing to emulate his life in our lives? Because of all that Christ, that God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Paul said, present yourself as a living sacrifice. And I forget who, what preacher I heard say this first many years ago, and I've heard several say it through the years. But you know what the problem with the living sacrifice is? They want to crawl off the altar. Isn't that true? You know, a dead sacrifice would stay. Now, it's interesting. Uh, of course, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Uh, many, uh, certainly most of them probably Gentile believers, and there were a few Jewish converts. There's no doubt about that. And so the Jew would understand what a dead sacrifice is, But Paul said that's not what God wants. He wants us to be living sacrifices. Paul said present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Now, our our study guide points out several things about this sacrifice. And the first thing it reminds us of, and I thought it was a good outline, this sacrifice is a willing sacrifice. What does that mean? Say it again. Okay, who makes that decision? We do. We are, you know, we are willing. Now, keep in mind, uh, Paul doesn't demand this. He begs them to present themselves. Make it a willing sacrifice. So in light of all that Christ has done, all that God has done through Christ for us, Paul says... We ought to be willing to present our bodies to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, also understand, even in the Old Testament, when they brought those sacrifices, um, do you think being willing to bring them was a key point? Sure. Now, I understand there were some sacrifices that were demanded. I understand that. But I am also convinced, unless the bottom line was they were willing to do that, that sacrifice had no value. So we're talking about a willing submission here. Uh, In fact, uh, God wants us to willingly submit to his saving work in our lives. And if we are going to have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have, the kind of relationship that God has designed us to have, we must be willing to come to him, willing to submit ourselves uh, to experience Christ in our daily life, willing to submit our bodies as a living sacrifice. So number one, it's a willing sacrifice. But also understand, it has to be a worshipful, a worshipful sacrifice. Now, The Bible talks about they were first called Christians Christians at Antioch. Now, I, many commentators believe that might have been uh, a way of uh, belittling these, these new believers or whatever. But my question is, why were they called Christians? Amen. And now keep in mind, 
They didn't just say it. They showed it in their lives. And we have to understand when we think about this worshipful submission to God, once we are saved, we are living testimonies of God's saving power in our lives. Now, the, the hardest thing for me to learn before I got saved, and I, you can't learn it when, when you're not saved. I realize that now. But I, I thought about, you know, Jesus Christ for quite a, a several years and uh, under conviction uh, for quite a few times and off and on during those years. And I, I thought, Lord, I, I can't change myself. I, these are things I'm doing and I don't want to let go of them. But what I didn't realize, what God does for us is not what I've done. It's what Christ does in me. So, you know, the, the bottom line is this. Our lives as creatures in Christ, new creation in Christ, we ought to be a, a living commercial of what God can do for other people. And I've often thought, Lord, if you can save me, guess what? You can save anybody. And our lives ought to display that to a lost and dying world. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. And I believe God's Word will back this up. A salvation that doesn't bring change is not genuine. When we genuinely receive Christ into our lives, God begins to make changes in our life. Because salvation, genuine salvation, without a doubt, involves and results in walking very closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to walk closely with Christ, I've got to submit my body. I've got to make a willing, worshipable sacrifice to God, surrender myself to what God wants for my life. Now, whenever we do that, when that mindset, when that attitude, when those actions are on display in our lives, it says to the world, I have found the greatest treasure of all. Jesus Christ has changed my life. How many are glad that he did? It's the power of God unto salvation. And folks, don't ever miss that. It certainly is the power of God. Now, we gather together on Sunday morning and we pray and we sing and uh, we preach and all these things and, and certainly that's a part of worship. But how many know the greatest worship we give to God is our obedience? Isn't that true? The greatest worship we give to God is our obedience and our submission to our great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, more than anything else, our obedience displays our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said that anybody, any worshiper can kill a sheep. Anyone can do that. But only worshipers are willing to submit to what God wants in their life. You know, God said in the Old Testament, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. God wants obedience in our lives. Now, by the way, uh, our text this morning, Paul challenges us to, or begs us, 
to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And uh, Paul has spent the majority of the first 11 chapters of Romans telling us that salvation is not by works, it's by what? By faith in Jesus Christ alone. No work, faith alone in Christ. And so, in that context, Paul says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, we know that the Jews of the Old Testament and the, even the Jews of the New would think about that. They would know what a sacrifice was. We mentioned that earlier. But the bottom line is, in Leviticus 16, before they could put this into motion, this worship of sacrifices, everything had to be anointed with blood. The altar the priests, the garments, the people, everything had to be anointed. Now, and that anointing set them aside for holiness to the Lord. We'll be preaching more about that today. But that anointing was important. Without the blood, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so they had to go through that ritual. And you'll find that, by the way, in Leviticus 16. But also interesting, when you get to Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible shows us there how all of these Old Testament sacrifices, they were a picture. A picture of what? Of what? Say it again. Absolutely. What Christ would do for our sins. How the blood of Christ provided our atonement. Now, remember... In the Old Testament, how often did they do sacrifices? Thank you. Over and over and over again. I read somewhere several years ago now that even in the time of Jesus, uh, when Passover would come, uh, there would be so many sacrifices going on in the temple area that the Kidron River would be red from blood flowing into it. It would be that many sacrifices over and over and over again. So why did they have to do it over and over again? Absolutely. They could never take it away, could they? But they did cover. It, 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 it satisfied God for the moment. But we have to understand something important here. One day, a perfect lamb came along, right? And who was that perfect lamb? Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. And he came and he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He was that perfect Lamb of God. And because He was sacrificed, we can now live. And so Paul is saying our daily living in Christ should be a continual act of worship. Now I realize, and I know in my own mindset, I think often of coming to church on Sunday morning to worship. I come to do that. But how many know we ought to worship God every day? In how we live, we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's a willing sacrifice. It's a worshipful, worshipful sacrifice. But also understand, it's going to be a counter-cultural 
sacrifice. Why would we say that? If you live like Christ, are you going to live like the culture does? No. It is going to be different. Now, I mentioned some weeks ago, uh, I think on Sunday night, that the gospel was intended to be offensive and not that God wanted to offend people. But when people trust Christ, the world doesn't like that. We are counterculture to the world. So what's going to happen once we come to Christ, if we submit our lives to Christ, God begins to mold our lives instead of the culture. And the culture doesn't like that because God has a total different mindset. And because we are God's living sacrifices, we are to no longer be conformed, if you will, into the mold of this world. Paul said not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Now, uh, we did our get started this morning with our, with our statement about how we think determines how we act. Uh, they always give you a couple options, and one of the options they had was to bring in a jello mold or a, a bunt cake mold. How many know what I'm talking about, okay? And uh, you pour stuff in, and what happens to it? Absolutely, okay? Uh, it, 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 it makes that shape. Now, do you understand, folks? The world wants us to conform to them. You know why? Because Satan, can, and he's the prince and power of the air. He wants us to fit into that mold. Now, uh, <laughs> would you agree that we live in a world that doesn't mind certain kinds of individuality? Have you been to Walmart lately? Or any place out in public? Do people display their individuality out there in the world? Sure. I mean, we see things, you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get this, but I guess it's, did you know people buy jeans with holes in them? Ken Holland one time, he said, I used to cry when I had to wear them to school. But they buy them. Do you know people have blue hair? You know, I, I, always, I always try to be nice. Uh, or pink hair. And I, I want so bad to walk. Is that natural? I don't. I don't. So we live in a world that doesn't mind certain kinds of individuality. But I tell you what happens. They draw the line when it comes to being allegiant to Christ. When it comes to be faithful to Christ, they draw that line. And we read it in the scripture. History also tells many stories of men and women of God who living sacrifice caused them to become a dying sacrifice because the world rejected them. Now keep in mind, I think we're living in a time, especially in America, where a lot of believers want the promised salvation that God has, but at the same time, 
They're seeking favor with the culture they live in. And folks, that doesn't work. Now, by the way, I don't think we ought to be rude. I, I don't think uh, we ought to be the, the oddball because certainly, you know, the Bible says we're to live with peace with, peace with all men if we can. Uh, and that's biblical. But there, there, there's a time. There's a time when the world is going to set itself against the things of God. And I want to tell you, folks, that's what's going on in our culture today. That's why we see all these uh, different things going on. And I was looking at someone this past week, and he said, I can't believe that we've allowed it to go on this far. Isn't that true? I don't care what you say. You can tell me all you want. You're a man or you're a woman. I, <laughs> somebody was interviewing somebody just this past week. I saw it on YouTube. And they asked this, this it happened to be a male, said, uh, how many genders are there? And I thought he had a good answer. He said, well, according to our society, there's a bunch of them. He said, but 100 years from now, or 200 years from now, when archaeologists dig up our bodies out of their graves, they're going to know. That was a male, that was a female, right? Somehow they're going to know. And the problem is, whenever we take a stand biblically, understand there's going to come a time when the world is going to draw a line and say, we're not going to accept that. And I challenge you today, folks, I don't care what they call us for standing for the truth, let's don't back down. We cannot be conformed to the mold of this world. Now, <clears throat> I think we need to do it in love. We need to be kind. But we need to be firm that Jesus Christ has made a difference in our lives. And we need to do it in such a way that we display God's love for those out in the world that need a Savior. So it has to, it's going to be counterculture. When you stand for the truth of God's word, the world is not going to like you. Now, by the way, I feel sorry for our, our, our young people today. <clears throat> I feel sorry for those uh, who are uh, in college. Um, I was talking to somebody this past week, and he told me, he said, when I sent my uh, son to college three years ago, a year ago, he said, he's been, I think he's in his second year now, he said he was a very conservative in a lot of ways. But he comes home the first year, and now he's leaning liberal. He said, it's taken me over six months to get him back on track. Because it's being, it's being forced on our children and the educational system. And folks, the world stands against the truth of God. And we cannot allow them to press us in that mold. So this kind of sacrifice is going to be a counterculture. But the best thing about this kind of willing sacrifice, it is going to transform our lives. Thank God for that. When we submit, if you will, to God, it's going to ultimately change who we are. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we act because the power of the Lord Jesus Christ will renew our minds. And folks, we can't forget that's where it begins. We do need a new mindset. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> Paul talked about being transformed. 
And by the way, I just happened to be using part of this verse in my message this morning. And I uh, had this message planned before I realized we were going to be here today, but it doesn't matter. It'll still work. But it's kind of like uh, a caterpillar. Uh, now, I don't know if they do it nowadays or not, but how many remember back in grade school when in science or whatever, they bring in a, a cocoon, a caterpillar in that cocoon? What would, what would happen? Turn the butter. What did you say, Dad? Yeah. Now, I don't know, I remember in our class, we had it there, I don't know how, many, how long it took, but somebody brought it out, maybe the teacher, and it was there for maybe a week, whatever long it takes, and every day we'd watch that cocoon. And, get, and what happened there one day? Yeah, it came and turned into a butterfly, a butterfly. So where did it start? From the inside. But a complete transformation. And Paul says, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Folks, how many know that God saved us not just to keep us out of hell, that does do that, but he saved us to change our lives that we might become more and more like him. That's the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to live differently, if we are going to live differently, we have to think differently. Would you agree with that? That goes back to where I get started. We have to think differently. Now, I can't speak for you, but I've got to tell you something. God's still working on, working on me on that one. And uh, I love reading God's Word. But my goal has been over the last few years, not just to read it every day, but to look for ways that God can change my thinking. Lord, help me to think more and more and more like you. Now I realize that we can choose to change our actions uh, out of fear. We can choose to uh, change our actions to avoid being embarrassed or being punished. But the bottom line is how we think defines how we are. And so that's why our thinking has to be renewed. And God has a power, and he uses that power to transform our mind, to transform our lives in such a way that our desires, our pattern of thought, and our habits all begin to move toward what Christ would want in our lives. That's how God works in our lives. Folks, God is good at what he does. So God's people, we have to and we must experience this transformation. If we don't, we're going to fail to show the love, the character of Christ. We're going to fail to show show a lost and dying world that what Jesus has done for us, that same God can and will do for him. Now, by the way, uh, is the world watching us? How do you say that? Why? Oh, they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now, by the way, uh, I, I pray all the time, Lord, 
I've got enough in my life to be people can criticize. Help me not to add to that, right? Let my mindset be changed. Lord, help me to be uh, have a better attitude even toward the lost. Uh, help help your your life shine through me. Your light shine through me. So God wants to change our life. And by the way, that's one of the reasons He gives us the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God is probably one of the is the most important. Uh, agent of that change. He's working in our lives. Now, remember, the moment you're saved, the Spirit of God moves in your life. Now, I don't know how this works, but being uh, through the years someone who's renovated a lot of houses, built houses, remodeled houses, I can see the Spirit of God moving into my house. Uh-oh, a lot of work here. i got to tear this out. i got to get rid of this. I gotta add this, I gotta fix that. And that's how the Spirit of God works in our lives. But I also understand while the Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives, He throws away that old, brings in the new. The Word of God is also vital in the renovation of our lives. And folks, as we read God's Word, we learn more about what God is like, who He is what he wants, the word of God helps us uh, and to, uh, to draw near to him as we learn more about him. And the bottom line is the spirit of God uh, uses the word of God, makes it come alive in our hearts. But also God uses other believers as well to help us, if you will, and hold us accountable to live a new way of life before God. I find it kind of interesting. Paul uses two important words in Romans 12. Number one, he says conformed. Don't be conformed. That's fitting into a mold, uh, like we talked about a while ago. That's the word conformed. But he also used the word transformed. So I'm glad that God gave us a better option. We don't have to be molded like the world. The power of God can transform our lives. Let's apply it. Like Jesus Christ, simply offer yourself, ourselves, to God every day and live for His purposes. Now, we said earlier in our, in our introduction that Paul based his appeal on what Christ has done for us, on God's goodness and on God's mercy. What are some of the good things God's done for you? Anybody at all? Okay, amen. Somebody else? Somebody else? Has he saved you? Has he given you hope for tomorrow? Has he given you the hope of heaven? So many things we can list. God has been so good to us. All right, so key point number one, if we're going to think like Christ, it means we put... Uh, others ahead of us. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Somebody read that, please.
I thank you, Alan, for reading that. By the way, if you were here last week, that was part of our text. So we're not going to kind of dissect it in detail as we did last week. But I do want to look at verse 5 where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So my question is, if we're to have, and Paul says to, the mind of Christ, what kind of mind did Jesus have? Say it again. Okay. How do you love, Dan? Yeah. He put other people first. Now, we took all the details last time I laid aside some of his rights as God. Uh, but he did. He put the needs of others. And if we're going to become more and more like Christ, we have to understand one of the things he did. He laid aside his own comfort in order to meet the needs of other people. Now, it's interesting. Uh, in verse 3, Paul said, Let nothing be done in vain glory, through strife of vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If we are going to be Christ minded, we must have a realistic view of ourselves. Now, I don't want you to give me any names or any indication, but how many of you know somebody who thinks too highly of themselves? Huh? Don't we all? And I, Dan? No kidding. A question of some do they want to give the idea like they're up here and and you're down here? Is that what is that <laughs> trying to outdo each other, right? Yeah. Now isn't that how the world's mindset works? But there's so many people have forgotten. And the Bible is very clear. All have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. What's that word all mean? Everyone. Dan, even the people you're, you, you don't call my name, but that kind of people. Everyone. We are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, everybody needs a Savior. Everybody, because of sin, needs Jesus Christ to intervene on our behalf. And so, if we're going to think like Christ, have this mind of Christ, we can't think like the world. We have to remember and be aware of the fact and understand who we would be without Jesus Christ. Thank God for Christ. Amen. He gives us value in our life. And Paul says, don't live out your life with selfishness. Don't live just for yourself. Don't do that. But the sad thing is, a lot of people use their pride for their self-motivation. 
And God says simply, don't do that. In fact, we came out of Romans a moment ago, in chapter 12, verse 3, we didn't go there. But Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Years ago, when I worked at General Motors, uh, I, I, just, I didn't know the guy real well, but I knew a friend of his pretty well. And his friend was told me that this guy was kind of trying to flirt on this lady, you know. And uh, I can't remember exactly how how that was said. And she said to him, she said, well, I, I, I bet... You, I, I bet you wish you could say that you're as nice and friendly as I am and good-looking as I am. And he said, well, if I could lie like you do, I could. Because he put her in a place. She thought awful high of herself. And I don't know who she was. I have no idea. But we're all guilty of that sometimes. We've had to forget. We cannot forget that all of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. Now, by the way, anybody here like going to the doctor? Not me. I mean, they never give you good news. Uh, some years ago, I, I had to go. I went to the doctor, and I, I had to make a hospital visit. Uh, I left the doctor, went to the, doc, went to the hospital visit, and uh, the family of the one I went to see was there, and I knew them all pretty well. And one of their daughters said, well, what did the doctor tell you? He told me to gain more weight and eat all I want. And she said, you're lying to me. <laughs> you know, they never tell you that, right? But here's the thing. If we're going to get better, we've got to know the diagnosis. And the Bible says all of sin. That's me, that's you. And if we realize our sinfulness, we understand our need. And even though it's not fun to hear, we know what's wrong. And we know what has to be done. We must allow Jesus Christ to take care of that sin. And John said if we confess our sins, Christ is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Now, by the way, again, real quick, who has sinned? All of us, okay? We cannot deny it. So number one, we've got to see ourselves as we really are, sinful people. Number two, when we think like Jesus, we see people as God sees them. Now, by the way, if you're a student of the Scripture, you know that uh, the ones that Jesus got angry with were the religious people. Isn't that true? But how often in the New Testament do you read... When Jesus saw the multitude, he looked at them with compassion. They were lost without God, but he had compassion. We need to see people the way Jesus saw them. So we've got to see him as God does. The third thing, Christ set us an example for us by putting our needs ahead of him. Now, did Jesus die for himself? No. Why? Amen. He died for us. He didn't need saved. We are the ones who needed saved. And I want to tell you, no one is more opposite the world mindset than Jesus Christ was. He was willing to give it all for the good of others. He was willing to do what he had to do 
to save all mankind from their sin. So we, we, we're never more like Christ than we are when we put him ahead of ourselves. Let's apply it. Like Christ, consider other needs and interests as more important than our own. How much time have we got left, Jason? Let's go ahead and read Philippians 4, 8, and 9. We'll get, let's get that in. Anybody want to read that? All right, thank you, Jordan. How many have heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out, right? Now, certainly it's important to avoid things that are not good for us, but Paul goes one step farther. We need to focus on good things, positive things, on the Word of God. And Paul says if we're going to do that, those things we have learned from the Word of God, those things we receive from the Word of God, Paul said if we'll do those things, the God of peace is going to be with us. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. All right, Lord willing, next week, unless Jesus comes, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Philippians. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, thank you for your goodness this morning, Lord. And God, help us to have that mind of Christ, Lord, to put others first. And Lord, submit ourselves as a living sacrifice to the only true God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless.